The sermon text reading is from John 13, verses 1 through 20. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now, before it takes place that when it does take place, you may believe that I am He. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Oh, yeah, it says I'm on. Yep, we're good. Okay, thanks, Joe. Yeah, my, as it, they said, my name is Mike, and I'm the pastor of spiritual formation here that can't get his thing back on his belt here. So, but I will get there. So, last Friday, not not this past one, but the one before, um, my kids, or was it Saturday? Yeah, Saturday. And my kids and the Salzman kids had uh, soccer games. And so we, after the soccer games, it's late, we ventured out into Atlanta looking for somewhere to eat. Uh, did anyone go out two Saturdays ago? Maybe it was last night too, but I've never seen Atlanta so nuts. Like, the pandemic is over in this city. I mean, that's what it feels like. And we couldn't get in anywhere. The waits were hours everywhere. Finally, we got to Chipotle. They wouldn't let us come in and take orders. You had to do it online outside and then wait for your food. So that's what we did. We waited, and Neil and I were in, the, uh, in there waiting for the food for like 30 minutes. And our kids and a few of his kids went to the van. 
and they were waiting on us for like 30 minutes, like I said. We got our food, finally. We went back to the van. We opened the door. We get in. We take off our mask. And oh my gosh, it was like getting hit by Mike Tyson. It was the most rancid, foul, horrible smell you could ever imagine. Imagine corn chips and, and moldy cheese meets each other, and that's what I smelled. My kids were in there, and Neil's kids, I don't know who it was, I'm not pointing, but they, they had their cleats on, so they took off their cleats, they took off their socks, they took off their shin guards, and it just got moist in there. Oh, and it was, I mean, you could feel it when you sat in there, you know? And, and, and so as I began to talk about nasty, smelly feet, our hearts are beginning to get into the place where our text wants to meet us. This is the place Jesus takes us, where John takes us through Jesus this morning. If you've been coming for a few weeks, you know we're in a series called The Portrait of Jesus, where we're, we're looking at these different just small snapshots of who he is. And it's kind of like one of those pieces of art. There are a lot of little pictures or a lot of little names that make one big picture. That's what we're doing. We're taking all these little things and we're putting them together and we're getting a more full, a more robust, a more beautiful picture of who our Savior is with the hopes that, w- that it would land on us, even fall fresh on us of who this Savior is. Who is he? What's he like? And, and, and based on who he is, who are we? What does he say about us? And feet are where we go this morning. Feet and love. That's what our text is about this morning. That's where we dive in. And so let's, let's look at it this morning. We're literally going to look at kind of what we've been saying in our series. We're going to look at what does the text say to us? What does it show us about Jesus? And what does it tell us about ourselves in light of that? So let's dive right in. Um, I want to give you a little context here. So in, in the scriptures here, this is Holy Week. Um, and we, we've kind of bounced around, so I, I don't want to confuse you timeline-wise. For example, I, I preached a few weeks ago on flipping the tables in the temple. The anger of Jesus is what we talked about then. Well, that's actually, that happens, that happens this week as well. It actually happens right before our text. But, so the triumphal entry happens, which is Palm Sunday, right? Which is what we celebrate today, Hosanna. The, the palm branches go down, the king has coming, and he's riding a donkey. He comes in, he goes, he goes to the temple, visit it, visits it, goes out, comes back, cleanses it, and now we're, we're at Thursday. So Friday, the next day is Good Friday, which we'll celebrate this week. So we're at Thursday, and, it, and, and this night is where Jesus celebrates the Passover with his disciples. But notice something. The Passover is only mentioned in name, just before Passover. Do you know that John is the only only gospel that doesn't mention the Lord's Supper and, the, and the, the significant change that happens at Passover where Jesus is the Lamb of God. And, and you begin to wonder, what is, what is he doing? You know, and I looked it up. I really wanted to understand. And, and one, um, one article I read, I think it was a blog post actually, it said, you know, what, what John's doing is, is kind of like this jazz musician named uh, Carla Blay, 73-year-old jazz, jazz composer, who in, in this Christmas CD, what she does is she takes O, o Tannenbaum and, and other Christmas songs, which, you know, O Tannenbaum's, Oh, Christmas tree, oh, you know, da-da-da-da-da-da. And what she, what she does is, as the melody goes and goes, da-da-da-da-da, like literally, the note does not match. It doesn't fit the music. 
in, in any way, shape, or form. And her purpose is, is to make you stop and focus on that moment. Slow down right here. The, the missed note is different. Listen to it. It says, she plays the melody we all expect until the one last word. Thy leaves are so unchanging. Her horn player lets out a flat, unmelodic sound, the kind that jolts you out of the sentiment, sentiment, sentimentality that had lulled you along to that point. The critic explained that the off note is the one that speaks the loudest. A wrong note in the right place can make all the difference. That's what John's doing. Remember, John is so intentional. There's all these other things I can write. There aren't enough books for what I could write to you. But I write these things so that you may have eternal life. That's John 20. So these things, the way he wrote them, how he wrote them, are so important for us to slow down and consider, what is he doing here? And so unfortunately, we won't have the text on the screen. So grab your bulletins because I will refer to the, uh, the passage. And if you're online with us, just grab your iPhone. Go to, go to John 13. We're going to look at some of the verses as we go. Uh, verse 1 says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. N.T. Wright says, This is the beginning and the end. The beginning and the end. He says, It's the beginning of a long, slow buildup to the crucifixion and the resurrection the beginning of that. But it's the end, it's the climax, the goal of everything that Jesus has done so far. It's the beginning and the end. So just before Passover, he knew his hour had come. He knew. Remember before, it's not my hour yet. Now he knows his hour has come, and that is so important for us. But his hour has come, and it says he loved them to the end, which is another word for the uttermost. He, he loved them fully all the way to this point and beyond, the uttermost. So what's the portrait being painted of Jesus here? What do we learn? What is the love he's showing? And there's a lot, but I'm going to just give you a few things. One, the portrait being pictured, what we're learning about him is his humility. Humility. And and just as I I say that word, I hope hope it's an off note to you. God is humble? Our our, our Webster's Dictionary says this, "It's, it's a low view of one's own importance. God is humble? No, surely not. So how, how is God humble? It's not that he has a low view of himself. No. So what is the humility? And, and the best way, place to see it is what is believed Paul, reflecting on John's text, says this. This is Philippians 2, 5 through 8. And I apologize that we don't have it, but just, just bear with me. I'll read slow. It says, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who thought he was in the form of God, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So what is this? What is what is this humility that we speak of? First of all, Jesus was, he is God. He is the, the Son of God, but he emptied himself. All of what he deserves, the honor, the praise, the glory, the beauty, all of that, he said, I, I'm not going to grasp a hold of that. Instead, although I have right to that, I'm going to empty myself and be a servant and put on the, the servant's cloak here. So the first part of what humility is, is 
the rights he has, he doesn't claim to those rights. Instead, he becomes a servant. So the second part with that is that instead of using his rights, his power, and his glory for himself, he uses it on behalf of another. That's humility. It's, yes, I have rights. Yes, I have honor. Yes, he has glory. Yes, he deserves all things. But instead of clinging to that, he, he becomes a servant. And all of those things that are true of him, he uses on our behalf. That's what the text is beginning to show us. Humility, in short, is the twin movement of not clinging to something that is ours, but using it for the benefit of others that they might share in, that, in, the, they might share in it to their benefit. That's humility. So, though he was God, King, Lord, Teacher, he takes the place of a servant. The first thing we see is his humility. And, and so that's what he has humility. But how do we see that humility? How do we see it? Well, I don't, I don't have to go far on this one. But last night, I had not finished my sermon uh, yet, which is no surprise to anyone who knows me. Um, I had not finished, and I was feeling it. And we were playing a soccer game, and, and this particular soccer my kids were, and I was pretty distant in it, to be honest. And we went out to eat again. We found a place that could get right in. At the table with my friends and my family, I was distant. I was, and, uh, you know, I just, I, I was there, but not there. We got home, and my wife was kind of upset at me. She said, she said, Mike, I feel like you're mad at me. You seem distant. You are aloof. You, um, you're harsh. Your words are a little edgy. She was just real honest with me. But how they experienced, how she experienced me, which means most likely our friends experienced me that way as well. And in, in a moment where my sermon's not done, and I'm feeling and wrestling with a lot of things, I can't even treat them very well. Guys, Jesus is the night before his death. And he knows what's about to happen. He knows what's coming tomorrow. What does he do? Where is his focus? It's on the disciples. And it's not, it's not just, hey guys, you should wash each other's feet. It's not even that. He, he gets down in the moment of his greatest need and he meets their needs. What? So, yes, humility, the glory, not gra- taking a hold of it, pouring out for the benefit of others. But look, not only what he does, but when he does it. He does it in the time of his greatest need. His focus is on us. It's on them. Wow. I hope you're getting a better and clearer picture of your Savior and how compassionate, how good, how faithful, oh, how, how wonderful he is. That's what we're learning about his humility. And so for you, as you think about, and we're going to get to us, I know, but as for you right now, as you think about your Savior in, in that moment of greatest need, thinking about you, where does it take your heart? Where does it, where does it begin to take you in your worship? Where does it begin to confront those places in you? Because the last thing I want us to see about Jesus this morning is his patient pursuit. His patient pursuit. What do we mean? Notice, at the moment, love is at its full. The uttermost love, right? What's the next verse? Jesus, knowing that the Father had come and put all things into his hands. Oh, no, no, I'm sorry. Right before that. He loved the world to the end. Verse 2. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. At the, at the moment of the fullness of love, here comes evil. Evil's always there to pounce. It's always ready to take out love. 
And I wish we had time to talk about evil more and more because I have been repenting of my lack of understanding of evil and my lack of confronting it in my life and in others. And I hope we will continue to wrestle with it as a body because I think it's so true. And where love increases, evil will abound to take it out. And that's where we find here. But notice, he's Judas is at the table. Think about that for a second. Who is Judas? Judas Iscariot, he is, he's a rebel. He wants to overthrow Rome, right? Jesus isn't doing it his way. He's frustrated. He's mad. So what does he do? He begins to plot how he can take advantage of Jesus in this moment. He, the, the man who is orchestrating his death with the religious leaders is sitting at the table. And what does Jesus do? He washes his feet. What? He washes his feet. I don't know what you've done in your life or where you are or or how evil's gotten a, a, a hold of you at times. Look at your patient pursuing Savior. The one in his great, in the hour of his greatest needs, those last hours of his life, pouring out for you, getting on his knees, and even his betrayer, he he, he washes him, he washes his feet. So important as we get this clearer picture. So hear me, the Son of God, he left the glory of heaven. In our text, he takes off his outer garment. He descends and becomes man on this earth, he kneels before his disciples. He lives a faithful, perfect life and is put up on that cross and dies a horrible death and then raises from the dead three days later to wash us. Jesus kneels and washes their feet. Do you see it? That's what the washing is about. it, It is pointing to what is about to happen. What is about to happen? And listen, what does your heart do with it? As Jesus gets in front of you and he says, Mark 10, 45, I didn't actually come so that you would serve me. I came to serve you. What does your heart do with a God that, no, it's not about you serving him. It's not about your activity for him. It's him serving you. Do you like Peter? Pull your feet back. I know I do. I can't take it. No, he, he wants to serve us. And that's, that's the, the, the provocative, hard thing to grasp here. A God that would come near and serve us in the moments of his greatest need. So this is what we're learning about Jesus. This one who had all glory, might, power, and beauty, and, and deserving all worship and all praise, didn't count equality with that to be grasped. Instead, he, he pushed that down and he he put on the servant's robe. I want you to know that, that there is not another instance where a leader does this, washes feet in the ancient world or any Roman or Greco stuff. There's a lot of things like, for example, Noah's Ark. You can go find stories like that in other literature. You can't find this anywhere except the Bible. He's the only leader to ever crouch, to ever get down and wash dirty, nasty feet. The only one ever. I hope you're getting a picture of this Jesus. So now, what do we learn about ourselves? And now let's let's take a context from our moment right now. Where are we in church history today? Thursday is often called Maudie Thursday. Maudie Thursday is is where we actually celebrate for the churches that do this, where we wash feet. 
We come together. It's the service of shadows. You come in, and, and literally there, the priest will wash the feet of the people there. But we, we don't necessarily do that here. Maybe some of you do in your homes, and that's wonderful if that's what you do. But, but I want you to, to, to let your heart remember Ash Wednesday. Ash Wednesday is where we, we put on the imposition of ashes. To, uh, you know, dust we came from, dust we will return. We begin to reflect on our sin, think about what it cost Jesus, and have this time where we go without some people, fast from things, to, to remember more, to, to see their sin more, so that they see Jesus more. And now we come to, to Thursday, the night before the crucifixion. This is where, where Jesus prepares our hearts for Good Friday. And what are we learning about ourselves in that? Well, I want to read to you. Verse 3 says, Knowing he was going back to the Father. Now 6 through 8 says this, He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Wow. Now, if this was just about foot washing, that last sentence would be needed. If I don't wash you, you have no part of me. You have no share with me. This is way bigger than foot washing. Right? There, what, what we just talked about is what this points to is the crucifixion and the resurrection. Because remember, it's not just his death. It's that he lives again. That's where the washing is. We put off to put on the new man. We have a new identity. And, and what Peter's not getting right here is this foot washing is pointing to that. And you know what's so important for Peter? Peter, if you can't understand that I would go down right now and wash your feet, how will you ever understand when I'm up on a cross? How will you get that? That the, the king of the world would go and be nailed there and die so that you would live. If you can't get this, you will not get that. So we, you have to get this. Peter knows Jesus is the Messiah. He knows he's Lord and God and teacher. And, and, and where Jesus will go, he has been cleansed. He, know, he knows it's true. But he also knows himself. Wait, he's God and I'm Peter. Like, there's no way this should be working. And so he pulls his feet back. He pulls his feet back. And so what do we learn about ourselves? The first thing we learn is we need clean cleansing. It's, it's simple. We, we need to be cleansed. We need to be cleansed. And Jesus, in cleansing us, he does it in a very specific way. The first I want us to see is it's very personal. I want you to imagine right now, you know, I don't know many of you, but I'll, if I just came up to you right here in front of everybody, and I took off your shoes, if you were to let me, I untied them, took them off, you know, and you're, look, you're looking down at me, and I, and I begin to take off your shoes. And, you know, for us it would be shoes, socks, and all that. And I began to touch your feet. I don't even like you looking at my feet, just, just so you know. Like I... The feet are so personal. Do you know that in all the studies out there, the most, the, the, the most hated body part is feet? Did you know that? It's the, it's the one nobody wants to touch or deal with. It smells, right? I mean, it's like where it's literally a place where you just don't want to deal with. And Jesus goes to that place with them. He goes to that place. He gets personal. And, and just slow down with me and imagine. He starts with the first one. 
goes to him and he says, John, welcome. I'm glad you're here. And he begins to talk. He looks him in the eye maybe. Maybe he names them. He, he, he welcomes them in a way. Yeah, I'm glad you're here. And he begins to wash them. Can, can you slow down in the text a little bit? I know I'm reading into it. I don't, we don't know exactly what it looked like, but we know Jesus. And he's so, he's so gentle. He's so kind. He's so loving. He's so compassionate. Can, I mean, surely he wasn't just ripping stuff. He's, he's gentle. He's personal. He's so near. He's at their feet. And he gets down one by one, and, and he goes, and he's so intimate as he goes. And he addresses each one personally. And what does he do? He begins removing the dirt off their feet. And for us, that doesn't mean much. I know for us, you know, you have sweaty feet and all that kind of stuff. For them, it was sandals, right? They're walking around. Their feet get dirty. And people in those times, they took human excrement, animals. It was in the streets. You, what was on your feet was despicable. And so he, he's going. And, and now the feet are so important because why? It has toes, right? To get them clean, where you got to wash? You got to wash between the toes, Got, got to scrub the, scrub the toenails, right? I mean, he's literally at the most intimate, filthy place with these guys washing. So what do we learn about ourselves? When we, the way we encounter Jesus personally is he gets personal. He gets intimate. He goes deep. He goes to those dark, hard places that we don't, we don't want anyone to go there. We, we, we would wish that they would never touch those places. But he goes there. He goes there and he brings his cleansing and beautiful power to that place. That's the first thing we learn is that, is that he goes to those intimate places, right? And, you know, it's beautiful. I've, I've, I read one blog post from this lady and she was, she was saying that, you know, the, the dirt, if, if you can kind of use it as a metaphor, dirt's something you pick up on the journey. It's not really a part of you. It's, you, you got it on your journey. And Jesus goes and he's taking that dirtiness, that thing, those things you picked up along the way, that baggage, that trauma, those hardships, and he's washing that away. Why? To reveal the clean, beautiful person underneath. That's what this cleansing power does. And so the first thing is he gets personal, he gets intimate, he goes deeper. And for most of us, we pull our feet back. We pull our feet back. Can we, can we allow him to wash in those places? Can we, can we put our feet in front of him and allow Jesus to serve us? What does your heart do when you, when you picture that, when you slow down with him more? The second one is personal, but it's also communal. So there's a table, right? And they're all leaning. They would be leaning on their left elbow, and their feet would be this way. That's why they call it you know, like laying on the table. So it would be kind of like that. Sorry, I can't do it very well. But, yeah, and so they're leaning and feet are that way. And, but to, to begin eating, to have communion, it was, it was traditional that the feet would be washed. And just so you know, washing the feet was so horrendous that even Jewish servants weren't allowed to do it. Only Gentile slaves, which is horrible, right? Only the, in the Jewish mind, the lowest of low were allowed to touch feet. And now you begin to see how scandalous what Jesus is doing really is, right? So he does it. He washes all their feet. And, and if we were all going to dinner and we were being that day, our feet would all be washed. And now that's a symbol. We're clean to eat. There's a cleansing that's happened. So now we can have communion. Now we can be together. Now we can participate 
in this relationship with Jesus here. And, and so the washing is both personal, but it's also communal because it brings us together. And, and friends, Scott will say this. I'm not even going to steal it because I know he's going to go there. Communally, that's what the table is. That's why this John would put that here where the Lord's Supper is coming, right? But there's something communal about this that we're invited into. And so, again, we, he, he deals with us personally, but he also deals with us together. He invites us to have relationship. So what do we learn about ourselves? That's what we're made for. We're made to commune together. We're way, made to be cleansed and commune together, to have those kinds of relationships. And the last thing we learned, and I'll, I'll try to move as quickly, and it's through. So Jesus does something here like he did with the fig tree. Remember, the cursed fig tree was about the cursing of the temple. There was something important there. Peter's, Peter's pushback was actually opportunity for Jesus. He takes, he takes the, the illustration, the living parable, as some commentators say, and he takes it deeper. So he takes it from the one-time cleansing to the cleansing that's ongoing. And we, we see that here. Peter said, you'll never wash my feet. Remember, you, you can have no part of me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only then, but my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. You are clean, but not every one of you. A couple things there. One, the washing of Judas's feet outwardly did not make him clean inwardly. Think about that. This is big implications. Judas cast out demons in his name. Judas ministered in his name. Judas went about celebrating joyfully what God was doing in his life. And Satan slowly whispered, whispered, and took his heart away. And so outwardly, he was cleansed, inwardly not. And this cleansing is pointing to something this one time, once for all, that happens when we believe upon Jesus. You are cleansed. He says to Peter, you are cleansed, but your feet still need cleaning. So just imagine, you've taken a shower, and you're walking barefoot outside, and you come back. What, what do you need to do? You need to clean your feet. And, and so he takes it from not just the one cleansing, but for Christians, the ongoing cleans, cleansing that we need. And what is that? It's ongoing repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. And what is repentance? It's, it's in a simple way, it, it's literally giving in to God's way of dealing with our sin. It's allowing his cleansing power to ongoingly cleanse us. It's taking our sin to him and saying, this is what's true of me. This is, this is what's been true. And, and so that happens personally, but where does it also happen? Communally. Communally. And that's what takes us to our last place. Because repentance that happens, think, think here, your repentance before the Father where there's true conviction of sin, you're seen. He sees your sin. He knows you in that moment, yet he loves you. There's nothing more powerful. To be seen, to be known, and to, 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 be, to be naked in front of him and yet be loved, there's nothing more powerful. And that takes us to now what do we do with it? What, what do we do with this, this personal, this personal uh, connection and, and depth we, we've called to with Jesus and this communal connection? He says then, now I've given you a pattern. That's verses 14 and 15. It says this, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. We have an example. We have a power now. We are called to go and do the same. Hopefully, as that does to you what it begins to do in me. I don't want to wash your feet. I mean, I have to touch your feet? 
what, what is he saying? What is, what is foot washing for us? What would that mean for us? Well, it's, it's some of the same things we learned about Jesus. He says, if I did it, you go and do the same. What did we learn? It's his humility. What's humility? It's all of us. We have rights. We have certain powers. We have certain jobs, certain things, certain blessings that God has put on us. And what do we do? We don't lay a hold of them. We don't grasp them as in that's the end. No, we put them and use them for the behalf of our community, for the wellness, for the, for the flourishing of others. So we, we follow his way. And, and, and listen, this is so good to hear right now. Even in the middle of a pandemic, if Jesus can do it in his greatest hour, how much more can we now, with his power, with the spirit living in us, do the same? When life is hard, when we're in tough places, to, to take the things he's put on us, take the identity, the beauty that's in us, and, and use it on behalf of someone else. So, yes, it's, it's per, you, we get personal with each other. Um, and so, yeah, one author said this. He said, despite who we are, despite what I have, no matter where I am and on the, the, you know, the totem pole, the pecking order, whatever you would call it, no matter who I am, it doesn't matter. I still wash their feet. And, and also, it doesn't matter who they are, where, where they might be or where they might be. I wash their feet even while I face hardships, even as I face struggles. And so we do that. How do we do that? Let's get a little more specific. We get personal. We really value this at City Church here. We, we get personal. We, we go to the, in between the toes. You know, we go to the smelly places. And, 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 and all of us, I just want to just free everybody up here. We all want to put our feet back. <laughs> we get it. And there is a lot of room to pull your feet back here at City Church. But this is an environment where we just say, yes, you can do that. Pull them back. That's okay, we're, but we're going to persevere with you because Jesus has persevered with us. Jesus washed me, so I'm going to stay in there with you. I'm going to hang in there. So we get personal. And, and can we begin to have an imagination for one another? And that imagination would do this. Imagine, what would life be like if they didn't have that struggle anymore? That sin problem. That, the, the way they interrupt people. Or, or that pride that comes out. The way they devour their wife. The way that lack of forgiveness is in their home. Imagine, what would their marriage, what would their kids, what would they be as a single person had if this stuff was not there? I want to fight for that in them. I want to know them in such a way that I'll get down and fight for that. Have an imagination on behalf of someone else. And I'm going to close with these, these three things. One, there are two counterfeits to this. The first one is something that our, our society right now calls tolerance. We should be tolerant. Tolerant is... Is not what we want to be. <laughs> Tolerant is, I see your stuff, but it's okay to be that way. I'm not going to judge you. It's, it's, not, it's not my role, you know. And, and, and Paul does say, those outside the church, we don't judge. But he also goes on to say, in the church, we do. We do have. We do begin to correct and think about the hardships with one another. But it's not. We, we, don't, we don't have this aloof stance. It's not, it's not tolerance. It's engagement. We engage. But guess what happens when you engage? The, feet, the dirt on those feet, it gets on you. It's dirty. It's hard. You, you will get dirty if you do this. Just like Jesus taking his cloak and wiping their feet, the dirt comes off on him. It will come off on us. It will be pricey for us to obey this text. Absolutely. But it's not tolerance. We, we, we don't. It, with tolerance, you, you can just stay aloof and, and then go home. Engagement means you get angry on their behalf. I hate how that's taking you out. I don't like that for you. 
the anger is purposeful. It's about justice. It's about, it's about entering it. It's about engaging. So it's not tolerance. The second one, and, and, and this is so true, we got to be careful here, is we, we often just go where we're attracted. There are certain faces, certain skin colors, certain affluence that we're drawn to. And those are the things we often like to be around. And, and a lot of times, if we'll slow down and see, that actually comes from a place of deficit. It can be chemistry, absolutely. It can be, hey, there's like-mindedness. But oftentimes, when we're just drawn to those people that we're attracted to, that, that are comfortable for us, that's exactly what we're looking for is the comfort. There's a deficit here, and their wealth, their status, those things about them, I need those. Notice how our text starts. He loved them to the uttermost, and in that love, pours out into them. The father loves Jesus. He's full and it pours out into the disciples. It's the same order. Jesus encounters us. It pours into us. And then at a fullness, we're drawn to people, not just because of those things that, that, that happen to come up in the different relationships. And so again, I don't have a good word for it, but it's, it's, it's not just tolerance and it's not just going towards people that are comfortable for us because there are similar shared interests or there might be something they need that we have or that we don't have, something we need that, that they have and we don't, uh, and, and working from that place of deficit. No, it's, it's, it's more, it's this place of, of, of having a fullness and moving into the community with it. I'll close with this. Um, just, I had a, a leader um, in, in my campus outreach days. He's a really good man named Rupert. He's, he's really one of the first men that ever loved me well. It didn't just take from me. He's not the first. There were a few before him. But one of the main ones, definitely the first one that spiritually loved me in some cool places. And Rupert was my boss. And I used to go to him. And I would, uh, <laughs> I would take, you know, I was over like four staff. And, and you know, I'd see things. And I'd go to him. And, and I would say, man, have you seen this guy's struggles? And I would just start telling him about all my staff's issues and other stuff. And just talking about this stuff with him. And if, if you don't know, I mean, I, you know, a lot of you know, I have a really horrible childhood. There's a big, there's a background there where my dad did some bad stuff to me, really horrible stuff, right? And what I learned to do as a kid was to, to look at him and to watch his voice, listen, to listen to his voice, watch his face, and begin as my dad, if he would drink two beers or get certain giddy, I knew this could be hurtful for me. And so I learned to watch him and then to, to use that to get away from him, Right? Well, now I've become a Christian, I'm an adult, and I see things. And I began to see my staff and their struggles and all this. And I'll go to Rupert, man, look at all this stuff, you know? And one day, Rupert, very kindly and carefully, you know, in, in the same way, this, it was such holy ground. He, he began to wash my feet. And not, not physically. He said, Mike, you know, I, I know that for a long time, this is how you've protected yourself. This is how you've gotten safety. But what if, what if you began to use that for your staff? To use that, and, you know, for their benefit. Those things that God is allowing you to see, and he's using that. What if you began to use that for them? And friends, that was one of the holiest conversations I've ever had. It, it turned my life in, in such different direction. But it, let me just tell you, it was life-threatening. It was intimate. It was very personal. And it was, there was so much teeth in it. But it, it took something that I had used to defend and to protect myself for all these years, and it turned it to something I could now use for other people. And ever since then, leaders, Scott and others, have been using that to help me benefit the body in those ways. What is it for you? 
What are those places? Where does God go with you? What do you use to protect yourself and to keep a distance and, and to not enter in and become a servant for those around you? Allow the Holy Spirit to begin to bring conviction to you and hopefully get in between the toes with you, to take the smell off, to begin to wash you in such a way so that that, that leads to flourishing of this community and beyond. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you meet us here. Oh, thank you that you're, you're, you're humble, that you, um, you took off your crown, you took off your godly robes, you took off everything you deserved and used all of that on our behalf. Jesus, thank you for being high and lifted up for us. Thank you for the cleansing, the once-for-all cleansing that happens at the cross that never needs to happen again. Jesus, I pray that that would set us free. And I know there are some in here that need that cleansing, especially even for the first time. But for all of us in here, Lord, we need the ongoing cleansing. And so we do turn. We repent, Lord, for, for the ways that we, we blow it and we don't let you come near. And, and Jesus, we, we pray that you would, you would pursue us into those places and heal us uh, for our sakes and for the sake of this community and the city you've called us to. We pray in your name. Amen. just a moment we're going to um, read this confession together you know I, I was thinking about what Mike was saying I was thinking about my own week I'm sure you're doing the same thing actually thinking about the intersection of his his preaching with the, your life and I was thinking about um, I had, had his pre-raw conversations this 